0: Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Clearly, we should never take another week off um, because (laughs) (laughs) we take a week off. uh, I don't know if you noticed, but a giant scab was pulled off the world of hockey and blood is gushing everywhere in the form of uh, hazing incidences and racial incidences and emotional abuse incidences. And coaches are getting far awry or fired resigned and uh it's been uh, a hellscape and we weren't there for uh that week because we were eating stuffing
1: yeah so don't worry uh listeners i've told my family i will have no more family time with them i will (laughs) never unplug my phone again it's you the (laughs) listeners that i now care about the podcast will live on in infamy regularly
0: I was listening to our friend Katie Nolan uh, on another podcast this week, and she said that Thanksgiving has gotten easier for her as a sports person because when she needs to bail on her family, she could be like, I got to watch this game. It's my job. (laughs) And I'm like, that's a real smooth move right there. Luckily, sports for me at the holidays has always just been, you know, zone out, zombified people in front of the television. It's never necessarily been an escape. I think everybody is using it for the same means. I don't know how it works in, in the Kaplan house.
1: Yeah, no, I think I'm just going to be like, I need to be on my phone. Last year, this time, a coach was resigned. So, you know, we exactly. got to go.
0: <laughs> we got to get out. All right. The whole point of this is that we got a lot of catching up to do. And luckily, Anthony Stewart from Sportsnet, former NHLer, joins us to cover a lot of it that we are, frankly, ill-equipped to cover. Uh, that and a lot more on this edition of ESPN on Ice. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN,
1: it's ESPN
0: on Ice with Wasinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer.
1: I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And Greg, where do we begin?
0: Oh, my God. Um, all right. Let's start with the latest news that broke while you were at a Blackhawks game last night. Uh Mark Crawford placed on administrative leave, are we calling it?
1: Yeah, uh, I mm-hmm. think that's fair. The Blackhawks announced, you know, I'll begin with this. I went to Morning Skate yesterday. They're playing against the Blues and frankly, the first person I was looking for on the ice was Crawford. I was curious to see if he was going to be out there because he's been the latest name mentioned in this. And I don't know what we want to call this. Is this a reckoning in hockey? Is it hockey's version of the Me Too movement? Because that's Mm -hmm. kind of what it feels like. It seems like sweeping allegations that are almost loosely related and you could debate the validity of it, what it is. But Mark Crawford is a name that's come up. Sean Avery, think of him what you will came out in the New York Post and said that Mark Crawford kicked him during a game when he was on the Los Angeles Kings. Patrick O'Sullivan also came out on Twitter and said, my first coach in the NHL. Uh, you would not believe the things that he did to me, even knowing my history of childhood abuse. Now, O'Sullivan had said these things in his book a couple years earlier, but people only pay attention when you tweet them when it's timely. Uh, and then Brent Sopel, another um, from NHL player who coincidentally also played for the Blackhawks. People dug up, um, some comments he meant to, sp- made to spin Chiclets a-, a month ago, a year ago rather, uh, where he talked about some really disturbing behavior where Crawford even choked him. Uh, mm-hmm. so all of these in some led the Blackhawks in this time, in this world that we live in to say, he's not going to be on our team right now. We are going to investigate.
0: Yeah. And, uh, Mark Crawford's name was one that was mentioned extraordinarily quickly behind the scenes by a lot of people when the uh bill peter stuff with the hurricanes came to light um and so you're going to hear a lot of this phrase but not a surprise that uh, mark crawford was uh the next domino to potentially fall obviously a full investigation will be held to figure out what happened there
1: just to interject, that's the part of this that seems so disturbing to me when you hear people say, well, I'm not surprised well, yeah. by the stories I've heard. Well, if you've heard it for so long, how come you haven't come forward? And I think that's the larger conversation we need to be having about hockey mm-hmm. culture and what has prevented these guys from coming forward in the past. Um, either it's because they're intimidated to, they're scared to, or as Daniel Carcillo told me, and I think it's true, since they're four years old, it's been drilled to them not to stand out, not to be different. And even coming forward and saying, "Hey, my coach kicked me in the back," um, mm. labels you as a distraction, and therefore you're a cancer.
0: Yeah, and, and it's you know in the in the Bill Peters situation, which we'll get into now. Um, I found it fascinating because, on the one hand, there is no question as you go back and look at the comments from Sean Avery, from uh, um, you know Brent Sopel, and, and so on and so forth, that there was a certain notion that the behavior of your coach when he came over and punched you in the head or kicked you in the back was just how things were done. And so in some cases, they didn't go to the GM and be like, this guy punched me in the head. In the case of Bill Peters and the Hurricanes, they went to the GM. They said, this is not good. This is this is not how things should go. This is assault. And then Ron Francis, the GM at the time, and, and Peter Carmanos, the owner, uh, who I guess is now – claiming plausible deniability. Ex-owner. Yeah, that's what I said at the time. Um, They remedied the situation internally. And there it stayed, in the confines of the locker room, behind closed doors. So, you know, it's an interesting thing when you look at how these situations came to light. They came to light because players were tweeting about them. We talked to Anthony Stewart about this a little bit later on. But a lot of this stuff just stays behind closed doors. It's treated the same way A behavioral issue with a player would be treated, which is that, uh, you know, it's remedied, you move on, no one talks about it. And yet we're talking about racial incidents. We're talking about assault by a person in a position of power on an underling. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk about the Bill Peters resignation. (sighs) Man, I had two real bones to pick with the flames in this situation and I understand. That every single one of these is going to be tied up in legal jargon, in sure. making sure you don't step on that landmine that's going to blow up in a lawsuit. That when a coach resigns in this situation, it is not because he is taking one for the team. It's because he is taking a bunch of money from the team uh, as he, he walks out the door because that's what they've dec- decided behind the scenes, that he won't be fired. That said... When Brad Trilliving, who I like a lot, has asked, would you have still fired this guy if he didn't resign? And he completely passes the buck. It's real frustrating. And, and I don't expect them to be like, yes, because, again, le- legal ramifications. But having worked in public relations before my uh, illustrious career as a hockey curator, there are certain ways you can wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and say, we're legally unable to make that declaration. And if you say that, I mean, we all get it, right? But he didn't say that. He kind of wishy-washy, well, 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 I don't know. He's my friend. Kind of nonsense. Very disappointing. Also disappointing in my eyes when I asked about racist comments to not say the word racist because that's what it is. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. Um, it seemed like there were a lot of sort of soft shoeing and, and to me it was a microcosm of the bigger issue that you're dealing with, which is that it's a cultural change. And here is someone who I think is a good man and someone who I think recognized what had gone on and, and the um, necessity for Bill Peterson to no longer be a coach in the National Hockey League for that team. Still tethered to the old ways, still tethered to the old boys network, still unable to speak freely on these things because you just, you just don't. Cause that's what the culture tells you. And so yeah, that was the disappointing part of that.
1: Yeah. And it's especially disappointing that he's tiptoeing around the word racist because here we have, okay, sometimes in these allegations and you know, it's no coincidence that when you see them on Twitter, it's like the coach in YYC or my first NHL coach is how Patrick O'Sullivan. Mm-hmm. No one's naming people out, but. Akima Liu came out and said exactly what Bill Peters did, especially in that column to uh, Frank Saravalli of TSN, who did tremendous reporting on this topic, yeah. where he said, I was in charge of the music. This is exactly what he said to me. It was the N-word. He says, I don't want to hear that N-blank, blank, blank stuff again. And then you have two teammates corroborate the story to Frank Saravalli, And then you have Bill Peters admit to the incident, confirming <laughs> that it happened. And in all of that, if you still can't say the word racist, like, when are we going to say it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's insane. So Bill but Peters... to the uh, point of... Yeah, go ahead.
1: And just to the point of, of players remaining silent and, and feeling uncomfortable about this, you know, I pursued, you know, Michael Jordan came out and he said I was kicked on the bench and there was another player who was punched. Um, Rod Brindamore, the coach, said that for sure happened. I've been working through an intermediary who knows the player who was punched and apparently it's pretty known of the guys on the team who it was and he currently doesn't want to come forward because he doesn't want to make the story about himself and he says I'm not I no uh Brent Sopel you know is not in the league anymore is someone who's never really been afraid to speak his truths so I've done a story on Brent um and and you know his battles with alcoholism and dyslexia over his career I called him last night and I said Brent you know we saw these comments in spit and chiclets you know with Mark Crawford like you want to talk and he's like you know I I can't right now um you know this there's guys with jobs at stake with families i have to think when i put out a full statement i will but i can't right now and Mm -hmm. and that to me spoke volumes about hockey culture as well and look you know brent might be involved in the investigation there's plenty of reasons legal reasons why he doesn't want to talk and relationship reasons as well but i just found it pretty telling Mm
0: -hmm. and so you have at the top of the pyramid the bill peters incident with akima Alou. then one step down you have coaches that assault their players which again Two decades ago was probably the norm, uh, but now is seen through a completely different light. And then one step down from that, you have psychological warfare, which is what we're dealing with in the Mike Babcock situation where not only did we have the, uh you know, uh, Mitch Marner, if you could just make a list of all your teammates and tell me, uh, you know, which ones are terrible and which ones are good uh, just between you and me. And then two seconds later, hey, by the way, Nazem Qadri, uh, uh here's what Mitch Marner said about you. Uh, yeah, we had that situation, and, and then we also had the, the, the situation in Detroit where uh, it comes to light through uh, Chris Chelios that Johan Franzen uh, had a nervous breakdown on the bench because Mike Babcock verbally, verbally assaulted him. And then uh, Franzen talked to Swedish media, uh, called Babcock a terrible human being, the worst person I've ever met, a bully who just came at people um, and uh, said that once he had gone after all of the uh, emotionally fragile players in the team, then it was time to go after Johan Franzen. Um, it is it, the reckoning. That is so disturbing is, to
1: read, knowing really Johan Franzens' issues that he's been dealing with post playing yeah.
0: career, and and it is incredible the reckoning we're dealing with here. Like it is, it, it is a, it's one of those moments where it, it, if you look and see it as a as a seesaw, either it's going to tip all the way back down, and we're going to have a massive sea change in this sport, or it's just going to kind of wibble wobble for a second and then just slowly, gently settle back to where it was to begin with. And um I don't know. I don't know where it's going. I don't know about you, but like, I feel like there is an appetite now for this stuff to stop and for there to be accountability. And the NHL maybe even recognizes that in inviting Alou to talk to them and, and things of that nature. But like you said, it's going to take players that have gone through this and that are going through this, stepping up and being candid about it. And we go back to the Brad True Living situation. The tangled spider web of hockey culture is just going to keep a lot of these guys stuck because they want jobs or because they're worried about other guys that have jobs or because they've just been drilled in since they were a toddler that you don't bring these this stuff to light outside the locker room. How do you think it's going to go?
1: I think it's a fascinating question and, you know, I think there's two schools of thoughts on this. One, I talked to Daniel Carcillo and if you guys pay attention to anything in hockey, know that Daniel Carcillo right now is the whistleblower for all issues in NHL. He is unafraid to be untethered to the league and call out where he sees BS. And he put an open call to Twitter last week and said, hey, if you're a player who's dealt with anything like this, my DMs are open. And he told me in five days he had more than 300 DMs from players um, alleging physical abuse, emotional abuse, and even some sexual abuse. And he said mostly resolved around rookie parties. A lot of it is in the junior levels where this happened, but mm-hmm. it includes some NHL instances. And he says, you know, a lot of these guys aren't comfortable coming out now. Um, they saw me as a safe space, and I hope that they can um but then you talk to some guys and you know i was in the blues locker room a day later and jay boomerstar who's been in the league forever he's, he came in in 2002 that's forever for me and <laughs> he says you know i i, I i've been he was on a team with Akima Lou. He says, "I've been on a team with a lot of guys from different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, and I generally find the hockey locker room to be a pretty safe space. And obviously, I don't have the same experiences as minority players, but I I, I think that we've evolved, and I, I do think that now in an era of transparency." um, we're hearing about anything that happens, but I'm not sure this is a widespread issue. And I almost think that it's – he pretty much said I almost think it's kind of people cherry-picking and trying to make this like a Me Too movement in hockey that doesn't really exist. So um, I, I really do think that these are two uh, dueling schools of thought. Um, they're maybe on the two extremes, especially on the Carcillo end because he is so unafraid and unapologetic and being a whistleblower. And I wonder which way we're going to fall, and I really don't know.
0: Indeed. Yeah, it's it's – It's an interesting interesting time here in the NHL and in the hockey world in general. And helping us to navigate all this stuff, our friend Anthony Stewart.
1: And now joining us on the line is longtime NHL player and now member of our tribe, the media, Anthony Stewart. And Anthony, I've got to ask you, what's it like being on the dark side?
2: (laughs) I've joined the dark side, and I can say it's great. It's a lot easier on the body, that's for sure.
1: (laughs) Did you have any hesitations about going into media?
2: Uh, a little bit. I wasn't too sure about, uh, you know, the time constraints. You know, right now I'm working on, uh, you know, building the minor hockey uh, circuit in Toronto. I'm working on a hockey school. I have a gym that's hockey-specific training. So I was sort of worried about jumping in and not really having time to do both. But, uh, you know, Sportsnet's been great with uh, balancing the schedule and making sure that I have to do both. So it's been a great transition, and I uh, really of the opportunity.
0: Yeah, and and uh, speaking of Sportsnet, one of the reasons we had you on was you took part in a remarkable panel on Hockey Night in Canada over the weekend uh, dealing with uh, many of the issues that the game has been dealing with in the last two weeks, in particular the uh, resignation of Bill Peters from the Calgary Flames uh, for uh, various and sundry reasons. Uh, one of them was uh, using the N-word on Akeem Alou. And the first thing I wanted to ask you was, because this really struck me, when you watched Brad Living give the press conference to announce Peters was leaving, the fact that he wouldn't use the word racist really struck me. Did it strike you the same way?
2: Uh, not really. And, and, and why I did the panel, um, I wasn't there speaking on behalf of everybody. Uh, you know, they had uh, Sarah Nurse was there, Anton Carter, and David Amber speaking on their experience. So uh, with me, um, you know, with the, the Bill Peters situation, the end result was him, you know, not being a part of the NHL coaching anymore. So uh, how that went about or the terms that they use legal terms for him uh, not being there anymore, that doesn't uh, affect me. It's just more so that he is gone because it's 2019 and you can't use those words. So regardless of, uh, you know, what words they used to get rid of them, they did get rid of them. And that's the end result. And that's what I'm happy with.
1: Do you think we're... You know, we're talking about all this stuff and there's two schools of thoughts here. One is that we, this is the tip of the iceberg and all of a sudden we're going to hear an avalanche more stories and it's going to be really disturbing. Or Bill Peters is an isolated incident and this happened a decade ago. Where do you fall and what are your experiences?
2: Uh, well, I'm sure there's going to be more stories, um, you know, coming out, but that's up to each individual player on how it's affect them. Um, I was a player that I went through hazing. I went through, uh, you know, some racial incidences, but, um, you know, I was raised, you know, that I was a visible minority. I had to work twice as hard for the same opportunity. So whether that's right, wrong, um, that's how I was raised. So I look at this as this doesn't affect me. The Don Cherry, Brian, uh, Bill Peters situation literally does not affect my day-to-day life. And, again, I, I live in Toronto, one of the most multicultural cities, um, you know, in the world, and uh, my day-to-day life is not affected by racism. So if there is a, a racist situation or, or something that uh, arises, that's a problem with them, not me. So it doesn't affect my day-to-day life. But again, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, uh, you know, it's all uh, rosy <laughs> situations in, in 2019 going into 2020. But for me, it personally does not affect me.
1: You know, I'm just curious as a player perspective. One thing I notice about hockey um, it's the ultimate team sport and that's why we love it but players don't use the pronoun i they often say we are you you know you never want to make the story about themselves they never want to stand up because it's a distraction and i almost wonder if that's one of the reasons why players don't stand up more i'm curious if you agree with that and if you see a culture starting to change where guys are starting to feel a little bit more comfortable uh standing up even when it's a little bit more uncomfortable too yeah i
2: think i think it's changing a bit but um, the, the hockey culture is, is is what happens in the dressing room stays in the dressing room. And, um, you know, with the culture, it takes time to sort of phase that out. So I could see players now uh, starting to stand up for themselves and, and, and standing, you know, starting to, you know, phase that part of the game. And, and with me, um, you know, when I first came into the OHL, there was hazing incidences, but, um, you know, as the years go on, it goes less and less and less till so it becomes, you know, a non existent problem. So I believe. Hazing, uh, compared to how it was 15, 20 years ago, it's progressed majorly. So I think the same thing now with, uh, you know, the physical abuse, the verbal abuse, you know, that these situations now are bringing attention to it, and now we're going to start phasing it out. So, uh, you know, some coaches are, are, are on their toes and they're a little bit, you know, worried of what they said in the past, and they should be, because at the end of the day, at the pro level, you're dealing with grown men that have families that, um, you know, are in the best league in the world. And in a workplace environment, they deserve to be treated with 100% respect and, and treated fairly. And, uh, you know, if you don't do that, there's going to be a big problem. So you see with the Bill Peters situation, that is the tip of the iceberg because there's going to be other issues that I'm sure are going to be arising in the next uh, couple weeks to months.
0: Oh, yeah. Do you think players uh, don't, at least in, in your experiences when you were in the NHL, don't recognize the remedies that could be at their hands to address these issues? And by that, I mean, like, if Akeem Alou doesn't tweet, we're not having this conversation. If if Michael Jordan doesn't tweet, we're not having this conversation, right? So, the PA told me that that the, at least in the 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 kicking and punching incidences in, in Carolina with Peters, like it, that wasn't bought to them at the time. Is it a situation where players don't see the PA as being effective in this situation, or do they not recognize that maybe you can go through the players' association and remedies these things, uh, maybe even before you go to your own general manager?
2: No, I don't think guys are sort of worried about the PA. The PA is there to have every player's back. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the culture is if a coach punches you in the head, (laughs) that's acceptable. Whether it's acceptable or not, you you don't say anything. Well, it happened, okay, you deal with it. Um, And, again, I've seen it happen in junior. I've seen it happen in minor hockey. So that was the culture at the time. But just with everything else, it's it's 2019 going into 2020. Stuff is going to change. And the way things were 10, 15 uh, 20 years ago, it's not going to be acceptable now. It's a new generation of kids, new generation. Um, and now you have these outlets with social media, you have the Twitter, the Instagrams, where um, you, you can get the message out directly to the masses right away. Whereas, um, you know, you, you're hearing Patrick O'Sullivan, he wrote in a book of some yeah. of these instances four years ago, and no one even blinked twice at it. So um, I think what the Twitter now it gives a the person their personal, unfiltered, Um, you know, opinion and and their views on the situation. And again, I'm happy now that I have an avenue now to express my feelings on it on a day-to-day basis, you know, being on on talk radio. So, um, you know, lost in this, I don't want the message to be that, you know, hockey's a great game. The hockey culture is a great culture. There are some changes that need to be made, but as a whole, the game's been great to me. It's been great to my family. My brother's still playing for the Philadelphia Flyers. And I wouldn't change my life or hockey experience for anything.
0: For sure. Here's one change. If you did have a situation like a Kimalu and you bought it to your general manager, that's a white dude. Play, director of player personnel, white dude. Director of security, white dude. Uh, go up the chain, owner, white dude. Uh, one of the topics that came up on that panel on Hockey Night that I thought was fascinating was changing the makeup of the front offices in the National Hockey League. And, and I was wondering your thoughts on that. And I was wondering how we even start that process.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's tough and I was trying to use the analogy and I and I I'm very creative in my thinking and I and I'm thinking well if you want to break break the matrix you better be Neil and that's the way things are. So I think you just got to find ways to adapt within the system and instead of sitting, you know, at the bottom pointing at the top, do everything you can to be at the top. And, and that's what I'm doing with the sort of the minor hockey. I'm trying to get um, you know, subsidized ice. I'm trying to, to um you know have players on the ice for for cheaper costs get cheaper ice get cheaper equipment and that's going to get my more minorities involved in the game so i'm trying to do it from the grassroots level and it's my thinking eventually in 10 15 years um there's going to be more visible minorities in the uh, in the nhl but i'm at the rinks every day in toronto and you know there's a lot of visible minorities playing the game of hockey so i think it's just a matter of time before they start trickling up to the pro levels and you know, in a couple of years, you're going to see more, you know, black coaches. You're going to see more black, black GMs and black owners if they make if they do well enough and they make enough money, of course. Right.
0: So. Of course. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> so as of twice,
0: now, though, twice as <laughs> twice as good as another coach, as you said.
2: Yeah. Yes. According to my, my my dad's way of thinking.
0: Great. <laughs> <Right. laughs>
1: I'm just curious if you could take us a little bit inside, you know, there's more than 700 NHL players in the league, but only about 30 are black. And I know, you know, it seems to be a little bit of fraternity, especially a lot of the guys from Scarborough. I, I did a story with Devontae Smith-Pelly. He told me about how Chris and uh you were mentors to him. And, you know, just maybe as an example, like when Devontae had to deal with that terrible incident in Chicago uh, where the fans were incredibly awful and racist to him, you know, how did you react and, and, and what's that like kind of behind the scenes?
2: Um, well, you tell him that Devo knows that that's not the first time that's happened with him. Right. And um, his, you know, his family's sort of been vocal on the issue and, um, but his goal and his goal still is, is to be an NHL hockey player. And that's, that's something that's wrong with everybody else. So him, um, and with my brother and us, you talk to my brother about this. He says, I'm not a black hockey player. I'm a hockey player. So he has that same way of thinking where, um, there are, uh, you know, bad people in the world, but that's not just in the hockey world. You know, that same person that, uh, you know, was doing the racist taunts at an NHL hockey game, they could have been on, you know, the subway afterwards doing the same thing. They could have been at the workplace doing the same thing. So I don't want the message to be, oh, this is a hockey issue. It's a, it's a society issue. So when you sort of paint the picture like that, um, it's more understanding, but, um, I can say over the years, my teammates have been great. Um, I think part of the reason why I have, you know, these avenues of being in media is because I was a great teammate. Um, I wasn't known as the black guy in the room. I was known as the good, funny guy in the room. So, um, there are some, you know, challenges, you know, being a minority, but, um, like I said before, it's, it, it honestly, it, it does not affect me. It does not affect me.
0: Last one, Um, and and thanks for your time on all of this. Uh, I wanted to move over to Mike Babcock for a second. Um, You know, there's all these stories coming out now. Johan Franzen, obviously, is the the most famous and recent one about Babcock kind of picking on guys and crushing guys that are a little bit, you know, emotionally fragile at at certain points in their career. There's the stuff with Marner uh, coming out in Toronto. It's amazing how the guy had been praised as one of the greatest coaches in hockey history, And like a master of sports psychology and things like that. For God's sakes, he went to McGill. And now we start to see, you know, what these tactics really were behind the scenes. How do you square that with a guy that, that, uh, that certainly has had some levels of success and certainly had a reputation enough to get an eight year contract, um, versus how things really were? Is, is this, is this, is this coaching or is this just Mike Babcock?
2: Well, that's his style of coaching and worked for him over the years and that may have been acceptable. You know, coaching the Anaheim Ducks or the Detroit Red Wings in the, in the early 2000s. But, um, you know, why I'm sort of baffled a little bit, and again, I'm not trying to kick a horse while he's down. Um, you know, we have this Bell Let's Talk initiative every year where we're talking about mental health and how important it is. But the reality of the situation is you go to the culture, the GM, and eh, I'm not feeling well or I'm not, I don't, you, you, you're labeled. And you're eventually phased out unless you're a superstar. So that's the reality of pro sports. Um, and again, I'm not sure in the workplace, but that you're, you're, you're viewed as weak. And you know, so it's the same thing with all these other initiatives. You know, where we're talking about all these things, but what's really been done? And that's sort of you know was my message with the hockey night candidate. Well, okay, this is the issue. What are we going to do? Um, and I'm still waiting for that call. Hey, I'm I'm waiting for someone or, or you know from the NHL and say, hey, we are going to buy we're going to purchase a thousand hours of ice mm. and I will give a thousand hours of free instruction to the inner city kids. So with this whole initiatives, let's stop talking about it. Let's not just sit around round tables and, and sit there and talk to the cows come on, Let's do something about it. Right. And that's, that's sort of why I'm frustrated by all these things. Cause it's almost like it's a new cycle. I'm telling you in a, in a month or two, it's going to be something else that we're going to be talking about. So that's the frustrating for me. Uh, being on the ground level, being friends with Akeem Alou, uh knowing the mental health challenges. That's the frustrating part for me as an ex-player, uh, you know, a minority and now on the media side also.
1: So, well, Anthony, we're so glad that we have someone like you who's being vocal. And I hope that they buy those 1000 hours and you can give 1000 instruction. That's really important. Uh, where can our listeners follow your work?
2: Uh, I'm currently on uh, Monday to Friday in Hockey Central. So that's 12 till 2. I'm with uh, Jeff Merrick and uh, Justin Bourne. I was going to call him uh, Jason Bourne, but it's Justin Bourne. And on uh, Wednesdays, we're with David Amber. But uh, thanks for the plug. Appreciate it.
0: Hey, no worries. That Merrick guy, bit of a hack though, isn't he?
2: Uh, he knows his stuff. He could, tell, he could tell you about a game I had in 1999. <laughs> He'll know exactly.
0: He could also tell you about the second power play unit for the 1962 Sarnia Sting, which is the other part of him that's kind of scary. All right, Anthony, thank you so much for your time.
2: All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All
0: right, thanks to Anthony Stewart, Sportsnet, for joining us and uh, navigating some very sensitive issues on this podcast, which, by the way, is a hockey podcast, and there still is hockey going on. may not always seem that way, but there is, which means, Emily, that in the beginning of every month, on our very platform, ESPN.com, on the NHL page, we bring forth the NHL Awards Watch, and we will begin with the Heart Trophy. Dun, da, da, da. You tell me who your pick right now is.
1: So you texted me this the other day. You slacked me, and I'm just off the top of my head, and I'm like, pasta. It's got to be Pasta. Um, maybe I was just craving some carbs, but uh, <laughs> just because of the historic start that he has scoring this many goals, 25 goals by like the 23rd game of the season, it's just absolutely absurd to me. And I feel like he's got to do it, but you bring up some great points in your piece and I haven't really delved into the stats and right behind him to me is uh, Connor McDavid. And mm-hmm. you have to link Leon Dreisfeld with Connor McDavid. You've got to link Brad Marchand with Pasta. And then you've got the more conventional choice, which is Nathan McKinnon, who's seemingly doing it all by himself.
0: Except he might not be, because you could also make the case that a guy in Kale McCarr, a rookie, who's leading the entire NHL in goals above average at 12.8 right now and wins above replacement at 2.2, could be just as valuable or more valuable to Colorado than is McKinnon. Um, Kids,
1: drink your slurpees.
0: (laughs) I've never seen this before where you could make the case for three guys from three different teams, McDavid, McKinnon, and Pasternak, and at the same time could also make the case for three of their teammates, uh uh, Brad Marchand, and Kale McCarr to potentially have a shot at the Hart Trophy as well. I've never seen this before. I will say this about McDavid and Dreisaitl. Uh, From the outside looking in for the hockey writers, I don't think there's a... Chance in hell that Drysaddle gets the MVP over McDavid if McDavid has the numbers. Like we all just yes. want to bestow upon Connor McDavid all of these blessings that he's not been able to get because he's been outside the playoffs for this long. If you talk to people around the Oilers, they'll tell you Drysaddle might have been the better player so far this season. Maybe not the highlight reel player, but maybe overall the better player. What we know this, you know, as a fact: the Edmonton Oilers have scored 89 goals this season. Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl have been on the ice for 64 of them. That's 72% of the goals that Edmonton have scored this season has Ew. been with either of those guys on the ice. That is an insane Disgusting. number. Yeah. Disgusting. Compare that to the, um, the, uh, the, the Bruins, um, 61.6% of their goals have been scored with either Pasternak or Marchand on the ice. And that seems like a tie. So the, the, the Oilers number is just off the charts. I think McDavid leads the pack right now. I mean, he's got the Art Ross lead. I think Pasternak is without question going to be a finalist right now over Marchand, even though you can make a very compelling argument for Marchand as a, as a heart trophy guy. And then I agree with you that McKinnon, McKinnon at this point doing what he's doing with both Ranton and Landis Cog out of the lineup for most of the season so far, um, is remarkable. And I think that would probably be rewarded as such. That's, that's an old heart trophy trope is if you're doing it with your uh, teammates injured, uh, then you deserve to get some accolades for that that 's usually how we see it play out uh norris trophy Emily,
1: yeah John Carlson was the leader in the pack early in the season just because this is the offensive defenseman award um, hmm. let 's let 's rename it what it really is i I see this as the year, almost like Mark Giordano last year. It's like, well, we overlooked this guy for so long. He's due. Let's give him his time. And look, John Carlson is a terrific player. He's the number one defenseman on the Washington Capitals right now who are a top team in the NHL. He totally deserves it. But his offensive numbers are certainly padding his case.
0: Without question. And it's interesting. There's, I think there's another guy that's sort of in that, well, it's time for this guy kind of category. And that's Roman Yossi, who's Mm. put together a really impressive season. And then I would say that Dougie Hamilton, our good friend, uh, lover of museums and of all culture, Dougie Hamilton, um, would be another potential finalist at this point. But the interesting thing about Hamilton and Yossi versus Carlson is you could make the case that the guy behind the guy might be the guy that should be up for the Norris. Jacob Slavin's been insanely good this season uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes. And, and I was talking to somebody uh, around the Hurricanes this week. And they're like, look, you know, you could take Dougie Hamilton off this team and it would hurt us. You take Jacob Slavin off this team, it would destroy us. <laughs> it's the kind of the, the way that it was framed. Um that's how important he's been. But as you said, offensive defenseman award, Jacob Slavin, not so much. He's a defensive defenseman. He, he puts he puts up some points, but but not he on the level the D&D of D-man. Like yeah. And then Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis has Absolutely a case for the Norris Trophy this season. but God, he's been again, excellent. Yeah, but again, when it comes down to it, like who's the most famous guy? Is it Roman Yossi or is it Ryan Ellis? Ryan Ellis sounds like a skateboarder. No one knows who Ryan Ellis is. That's the problem with these hockey writers. Roman Yossi, they all know him. So that's the issue. Um, the other interesting thing as we kind of move over to the Calder is whether Cal McCarr or Quinn Hughes could make a Norris case. I will say this in my research, my intense NHL awards research. Of the past four defensemen who won the Calder, not a one cracked the top ten for the Norris in the year that they won the, the Calder. So it's almost like, here, kid, here's your here's your, 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 tiny table at Thanksgiving dinner. Go sit at that while the Norris trophy is at this big table. The kid's table? The kid's table. That's right. Cal McCarr, Quinn Hughes, Victor Olofsson is my top three for the Calder right now.
1: Yeah, Quinn Hughes, I'm surprised. I, just being around the, when the Canucks came to Chicago early in the year and I was talking to some people around there, I was convinced mm-hmm. that most of his production would be on the power play. Quinn Hughes on the power play is a thing. Um, but Kale McCarr's power play numbers are pretty similar. Uh, I believe they both have the 13 and 14 points respectively on the power play. So that's not really a factor. Kale McCarr, as you mentioned, is just doing it all for the, um, for the Colorado Avalanche and the fact that, uh, you know, he's got the name that we all know, like you said, he's he's doing more than just a rookie should. He probably leads it right now. Olson's an interesting case because, you yeah. know, he had that early surge and like we said, a lot of power play dependent production, but he's still got 11 goals, 11 assists, 22 points in 28 games. That's not bad. And then he got a guy like Ilya Mikhalov and Martin Neches, and I, I think I Totally butchered Natchez. Actually, in fact, I asked Jordan Stahl how to pronounce it. He's like, yeah, it's something like that. Uh, <laughs> he's the captain of the team, I might add. Um, but both of those guys, I think, could come on in the strong second half, especially when you talk about Toronto, because this team looks a little bit different under Sheldon Keith. And you never know how guys are going to react under a new coach. Maybe they're loosened up a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in Olufsen's case, I think his best path to the call there might be if the two defensemen split the votes. But I would say McCarr has got the lead right now over, over Hughes, but it's maybe a little bit closer than you'd expect uh, at this point in the season despite the- And poor
1: Jack Hughes!
0: <laughs> like I said last night, we'll, we'll get to the Devils in a second, but like, Jack Hughes has to be researching ways to re-enter the draft at this point, uh, but then yeah. someone brought up the fact that well then, the Devils could just redraft him because he'll obviously be like a, a high lottery pick this year. Uh, poor Jack and Hughes. Gary that I
1: mean, would screw him over and screw the lottery yeah. system. So they tend to win. Yeah,
0: in- injuries uh, have hit the young man uh, right now, and uh, ineffectiveness obviously earlier this season. The Capocaccio watch continues. He's starting to pile up the points a little bit, I think, in New York uh, here and there. But we'll just and see they're putting
1: him back on that um, what's it called line. Back with Benajad and Strom, where he seems to do really well with more skilled players.
0: Mm hmm. Go figure. Vezina Trophy, keep in mind the GMs vote for this award. I got to say Darcy Kemper's got the lead just because he has the best stats. He doesn't blow me away one loss record right, right now. But when you see the NHL.com writers put him up as the top guy for the Vesna, you figure that there's got to be some momentum for it. I think Bennington and Hollabuck are the other two. I mean, I would probably put Kemper and Hollabuck both like one, one a at this point. Um, and Bennington is sort of the known quantity category where you also have Bishop and Rask and probably flurry that are also in that mix as well. But I, I, I think Darcy Kemper might be your, your clubhouse leader right now for the Vesna after two months.
1: Which is incredible because it wasn't even the starter to be in the air. with Ronda, right? Yep. was right?
0: Yep. Oh yeah. And, and also, and I, I mean, I think they were probably sharing time, but, but Ronta by far was the guy that people talked about. Um, and the real interesting thing was at the start after a month, Pekka Rene was running away with the thing, and now he's maybe not even the starter anymore in <laughs> Nashville. So things can change on a dime. Is the point?
1: Things can indeed. I want to talk to you um about Pekka Rene real quick. Just as a side, what the heck is going on with the Predators?
0: Yeah, that's a real good question. Um Their goaltending has not been good this year, and I, and I think that might be symptomatic of of what they're dealing with now with the potential passing of the torch between uh Pekka Rene and uh and, and UC Soros. They, I think I think they've had a a team save percentage in like the 880s maybe for part of the season which is kind of stunning Fly when out. you think about those two guys. Um they're they're a team trying to figure out life right now and you know there's been a swirl of maybe it you know Peter Laviolette's job should be in jeopardy. Uh, a lot of Predators fans have certainly bought that up on my feed. Uh I will say this to that you're dealing with a general manager that has, let me see here, one, two, yes, hired two coaches in the history of the franchise.
1: Quick math, Greg. You're, so, you're a fast reader.
0: <laughs> so I think when you're dealing with the potential for a coaching change, um, it may have to be a situation where the Predators miss altogether. I don't think it would happen in season necessarily. I think it would be one of those situations where like, um, David Poyle pulls, pulls the trigger in the off season to make a change. Um, All I, I to know
1: think that,
0: is what I, the heck? Yeah, go ahead. I, was, I was gonna say I think them in Vegas will be fine. Uh, both those teams have been sort of like middling. I think they'll be. I think they'll be fine. They'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, I think the encouraging thing for Nashville is early in the year, we saw that their offense could click, which was a mm-hmm. big issue for them last year and why they flamed down the playoffs the last two years. So we know the potential's there. But I just want to know what the heck is going to happen with Kyle Turris. To have David Poyle come out and do a whole press conference about why Kyle Turris is benched was fascinating to me. Yeah. Um. Pretty much read between the lines. The coach has to put up the best lineup. This guy has an aspir trade, but he's not good enough to be in our lineup. But he's also making six million dollars. So we don't really know what to do with them. Um, yeah. it's, you know, kind of this albatross that's been weighing on them the last two years. It's why they went out and got Matt Duchesne because Kyle mm-hmm. Turris wasn't the number two center they thought he could be. But that's really something that's going to weigh on this team. And I wonder almost if they can just be a salary dump at the trade deadline at this point.
0: I mean, probably attached to something, you know, a little, a little Stan Bowman special to get that money off your cap and that guy off your roster. Uh, Selkie, this is for my Flyers friends out there. Sean Couturier is leading the pack right now. His numbers are better than Patrice Bergeron's runs across the board. Get that,
1: John. Get that, John.
0: <laughs> you saw uh, Travis Yost from TSN right? already starting the bandwagon and to get Couturier. the, uh, the uh, Selkie probably should have won already. I would say Mark Stone's probably the other finalist right now just by based on reputation. I don't think he's had a typical Mark Stone defensive year, but when you are leading the league as a winger in uh, takeaways, as Mark Stone currently is, and have the reputation entering this season as a Selkie finalist last year. Um, voters are all lizard brains. They, they don't, when it comes to the Selkie, they're just like, this looks familiar. I'll put this in here. And, uh, and so I think Stone will probably be a finalist at this point.
1: My only question with Couturier is, I wonder if, is he the best, he is the best defensive forward on that team, but Kevin Hayes is making a pretty strong case. And I know there's a lot of talk about that. Big contract that he got, seven years, $50 million for a guy that really probably didn't deserve all that much. But I talked to Chuck Fletcher from my column this week, the GM of the Flyers, and he pointed out we were 29th in goals last year. We're now 6th. We have the third best power play. Who leads them in power play time among forwards? It's Kevin Hayes. Who's mm. second among defensive zone starts? It's Kevin Hayes. And he's taking over a lot of that load that Couturier had to do in the past. Um So it, it just seems interesting to me that if Couturier hasn't won the award in the past, now you've got a guy to relieve some pressure that finally now he wins the award. Yeah.
0: I don't 13 know. Point, 13 points in 27 games. I hope he's doing something defensively. That's all I'm saying.
1: <laughs> he has four goals in his last
0: six. <laughs> Heating up. Finally, uh, Big, I mean, this is like an epic battle in some ways, but in some ways I don't think it should be. Uh, keep in mind the broadcasters vote on the Jack Adams. Barry Trots versus Dave Tippett. I, I mean, I think, I think Trots is the slam dunk guy right now, but there's going to be some respect for Tippett turning the Oilers into something that isn't a tire fire. But can we really give the Jack Adams to a guy whose, uh, giant sweeping genius coaching move was playing McDavid and Drysettle as, as, as much as possible humanly?
1: Fair. <laughs> um, I, that's all I got. It's fair. Uh, I think, you know, the Islanders obviously aren't going to sustain the crazy pace that they began the year, but if they win the metropolitan division, uh, with this roster that they brought back, that I know it was a playoff roster from last year, but still, um, with this kind of dominance, I believe it should be Trotz. but, um, look, it's broadcasters. A lot of them grew up in Canada. The Oilers are a Canadian team. Mm-hmm. Trotz and, and Tippett are both good Canadian boys, so it could go either way. They're both pretty nice to the and, media. And, um, and Trotz
0: won last year too. So that and Trotz that won last year. Spread
1: well. the wealth. Spread yeah, the wealth. Lend exactly. your friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: all right, some superlative categories that aren't official awards. We'll, we'll, we'll hand them out anyway. Do you have a comeback player of the year at this point, two months into the season, Emily?
1: Ooh, that is. I, you go I first. I actually I haven't thought of this yet.
0: Anze Kopitar. Oh. Kopitar last season had maybe his worst year as a pro. Um he's back to being sort of a point per game guy. He the Kings you know, are the Kings. Uh but I think that he's sort of back to that level of of what we expected out of, out of Kopitar including he's on the plus side of plus minus. I think he was like a minus like 21 last year. So I mean it's not a full-fledged uh, Kopitar sense, but I think Andrzej's certainly played a hell of a lot better than they did last year. Of course, who's to say how the rest of the season will play out when the Kings are, you know, hurtling towards the void of a uh, of a of a first overall pick potentially. Uh we'll see how his play is there. But at least two first two months of the season, Kopi looks like Kopi again uh for the Kings, I would say. And better than All Kobe, right, obviously. Kobe not good. Kopi, very good.
1: Um I've clearly put a lot of thought and process into this. Um, yes. process. Uh, You know, and I don't know if this is the guy that necessarily would win it, but someone I've been super impressed by is JT Miller.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, great pick. Absolutely.
1: Thank you. He has looked absolutely sensational for Vancouver. I know a lot of people criticize that trade of them going out to get him and the price they paid for him, but he's already got 12 goals, 16 cents. That's 28 points in 28 games. Uh, last year only had 47 points in 75 games with the Lightning, who were the obvious juggernaut. Um, he has looked terrific alongside Pedersen, alongside – um Brock Besser, and I, I think he's just a tremendous addition to that team, and he's got my vote.
0: Yeah, if anything, it's a comeback from being a guy that was labeled uh, unable to play with the top talent on his team and be effective, yes. uh, to then, to then go to Vancouver and maybe not justify that first round pick, but at least come close to it. Most disappointing. I think he's team. justifying it. Holy you hell. You think he's justifying it? Well, well, we'll see. It's a long season. Okay, most disappointing team. We'll say it at the same time. Ready? Three, two, one. Devils.
1: Devils, but then please. <laughs>
0: I I don't know I like
1: Okay so Flames, I, watched, I mean before they were embroiled in this controversy, you could have made a case for them as well.
0: Sure. <laughs> it's true. I watched uh they lost seven to one of the the Sabres as we do this podcast last night. And um
1: five goals I mean, in the first it, period. Do you want to talk you, about each of them?
0: You ever get sucked into a really bad movie and then it's just going and then you're maybe like you're playing on your phone, or you're like making dinner or whatever, and then you realize, why do I still have this movie on? It's terrible. Uh, yeah, that was the Sunday game last I was night. watching
1: Bride Wars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly.
0: That's and right. And then
1: the worst part about it, Greg, is I started it like 40 minutes later, and it was on one of those channels, like Bravo, where the movie ends, and then I watched the first 40 minutes again because it started right over.
0: Right. Exactly. So I had to see
1: how it began
0: when it was like five to one. That's like Anne Hathaway taking a pratfall. It's it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, that was absolutely the biggest embarrassment you could possibly imagine last night. Because not they they come back from losing was it four nothing? I think to the Rangers on home ice to then <laughs> the, give up you know five goals the first period or whatever the hell it was. It was it was so bad. It was so embarrassing. The then
1: hot, the then red hot Rangers. I should add.
0: Yeah, just,
1: just. then red hot. The,
0: de- the Devils day. are are like, uh, as our colleague Dmitri Filipovich pointed out last night they're unwatchably bad. Like, they're just inept. They're just, they just, and I don't know what the remedy is because you think, again, if Lou Merlo was the GM, he'd be the coach right now because John Hines would be fired like two weeks into the season. It's <laughs> just, just just terrible. Um, Here's the thing about John Hines i come to realize, by the way, I'm talking to some people behind the scenes about this guy. You know the band Rush from Canada? You know? Mm, there's like a, Yes, like a, like... yes. Familiar with so, the work. So, I don't like Rush. Um, but a lot of people that are musicians love Rush. John Hines is the Rush of coaches. People that are in the hockey community love John Hines. John Hines is a good coach. John Hines is not the problem here. John Hines is going to take the fall for Ray Shiro's foibles. On the outside looking in, John Hines is terrible. <laughs> like, I, you know and I, and think I, I, think I know that I am someone who has reinforced this narrative time and time again when the devil struggle. And I know at the, at the, at the end of the day, when you have sub-replacement goaltending, as the Devils have had for all of this season, that the team is going to struggle, especially when you have some defensively enough people on your roster in front of that goalie. So I am willing to cut John Hines a break, but at the same time, Emily, are we not in a results-oriented business?
1: It's interesting, because I think John Hines gets a lot of credit for the work he did with the U.S. National Development Team. um, And I think he gets... You know, he was tremendous for the Devils when they were rebuilding in that one year where no one expected them to do anything. He had all these young guys and got them to a playoff team. I just don't think he's the right coach for this veteran roster. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's just miscast.
0: Potentially. Most disappointing player. This is an interesting one. I think we I'm going to let you have- talk about PK. <laughs> Oh no, no, no! I was gonna say. See, here's the thing about PK, and and I didn't want to pick a devil for this category because I I I don't you know it's a pylon. And the thing about uh, a pile on, by the way, not pylon. Um, the thing about PK is that if you look at his numbers vis a vis what the Devils are doing, like his relative Corsi and and some of the other relative analytics, like obviously playing better than his teammates, right? Um, but I won't pick PK. I will say two names. One one is the obvious answer, and one. I was kind of surprised by it a little bit. Phil Kessel only has four goals in 28 games. Now he's got the
1: obvious or the surprise one?
0: That's the surprise one. He's got 14 points. He's also a minus 14. (laughs) Um, I gotta say that even though he's our sweet boy, that I I was maybe expecting a little bit more, like than a 5.8 shooting percentage. I think the fact that the Coyotes are really good and, and better than people expected has helped. Um, but four goals and you know, what? part of that could winning.
1: be the Phil Kessel effect in the locker room. It's not necessarily showing on the ice in production. That's
0: right. He's a, he's a jovial sort and he's clearly bought his whimsy to Arizona. And I'm not trying to say yeah, but he's that he's been a there, disaster. done that,
1: can teach them how to win.
0: And obviously, like, with how bad Galchenyuk's been for the Penguins, it does sort of help out too, that it's not as if the trade is lopsided. But right. the problem is, is that he's not good. Yeah.
1: And he's supposed to be helping them on the power play, and they're still bottom third in the league at eighteen percent.
0: Right, precisely. Um, no, the guy, the, the winner of the awards, Bobrovsky. Come on, ten million dollars a season for, for forever. Here is here is one stat that I found interesting. And, and if, so he's played a bunch of games for Florida. He's only had one game this season where he's allowed a goal or less. One game. By this time last season, he had done it six times. And this is just sort of an anecdotal stat. The real stats are that he's got one of the worst save percentages in the league and, uh, is, uh, I think near the top of the pops when it comes to negative, uh, goals above average. Um, just not good. And I, uh, and I feel like he's the obvious choice unless you have another, another better one.
1: No, I picked the obvious one. Not great Bob. You can't have a, <laughs> it's just not great Bob. <laughs> the greatest meme of all time. Not great Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, under, 900 save percentage for a team that looks damn good in front of him. He has all the tools to succeed. Uh, It's troubling.
0: Yeah. All right. Now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our, our weekly, weekly look at, at sad hyperbole,
2: hyperbole and, and strange narratives, narratives of the, the
0: hockey media. media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, the aforementioned Phil Kessel. It's the point of the show where we talk about the hyperbole and the foibles and the uh, abject mistakes made by the hockey media turn the spotlight on ourselves if you will emily i've appeared in this segment i don't think you have because you're better than me um phil Kessler's hot dogs this week is a returning champion damian cox damian cox of the toronto star i want to say or whatever um there's a lot of uh horrible takes being made in the hockey media when it comes to the great reckoning that we were speaking to Anthony Stewart about. And this is one of them. Damian Cox It is certainly interesting to hear Chris Chelios reveal what Mike Babcock said to him in presumably a private brackets conversation. So is Chelios now cool for Babcock or any of the coaches he played for to tell the world things he said or did behind closed doors is the, what happens in the room stays in the room culture now dead or just for players. If I'm an NHL coach, sure, I guess now I assume all conversations with players are on the record and judge myself accordingly. Yeah, what a horrible day it is that abject mental abuse, in some cases, physical abuse, in some cases, race, racial language, uh, cannot be shared, uh, because, uh, you know, we have to protect the sanctity of the locker room. Keep that stuff in there, Emily. Don't speak out of turn. And it will all just stick our heads in the sand, like a bunch of flamingos and smile the day through.
1: Yeah. That ain't it. That ain't it, Damien.
0: But again, like it, it was like stepping up to a Vegas buffet of bad takes when trying to find the Phil Kessel of hot dogs for this week, because, oh boy, uh, there are a lot of people that are not ready for the reckoning. Um, now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline, Taylor Hall. So Taylor Hall's going to be traded uh, at some point. I don't think he's going to resign with the Devils. I think they'd be nuts if they kept him around uh, in a John Tavares-esque desperate attempt to make the playoffs because I don't think they will. And Jordan Bennington's not walking through that door, Emily. Um, Where would you like to see Taylor Hall end up? It doesn't even have to be... You know, who's got the cap space or the assets or the whole thing? Where would you you like to see him play out the string this season?
1: I'd like to see him in Buffalo. I really would. I'd love for Jack Eichel to get a little help. I'd love to see that team make the playoffs. I'd love it for that fan base. And I just, I'd love to see it.
0: It's an interesting trade partner and not necessarily one that I would discount because they do have some assets to throw back the other way. Um, I reported earlier this week the Colorado Avalanche uh have been scouted by the Devils at all levels. Um, they obviously have the cap space, and I would love to see Taylor Hall anchor that second line, presumably with Nazem Kadri. I mean, go for it, baby. You got you you, you got a, a, scoy, a, oh my god. You got McKin- you got McKinnon anchoring the top line. You know they're gonna be great. Throw Taylor Hall on that second line. And again, the thing about Taylor Hall. You know, maybe all of his team's have been horrible because he's always had to be the, the guy. Maybe the best thing for Taylor Hall is not to have to be the guy. You know, just go to Colorado and, and establish that second line and have McKinnon draw the heat. And then, you know, in the offseason, go back to Edmonton where we all want to see the, the destiny be achieved of Taylor Hall who broke everybody's heart when he said, I didn't want to leave Edmonton. I wanted to win in Edmonton. Go back to Edmonton and win. But that's a free that agent play. That is true. I don't NHL know if that's a trade manifest
1: play. destiny. Yeah. Do you know what I'd love to see though? Really, yeah. This trade to happen sometime in the next month. I don't want to see it go down to the trade deadline. I feel like we see so many guys get acquired in February, and it takes a a little while to adjust to their new team and new surroundings and whatever. Like, get this guy going with the new squad and, and mesh in and and make a search. Like, if I'm the Sabers, I'm trying to pull this plug today, and because especially if you're the Devils, you know you're not making up that ground. Like, there's no reason to hold them on for any other days.
0: Yeah, and you know, in true Devil's Luck fashion, he'd probably blow it as knee in January. So, the sooner the better, right? Uh Dateline Washington. Nicholas Backstrom has uh, chosen his agent to represent him in contract talks with the Washington Capitals, and it's Nicholas Backstrom. Uh, he's representing himself when i when I first put this out on Twitter, a lot of people were confused. They thought that former Minnesota wild goalie Nicholas backstrom was re- representing nicholas backstrom for Capitol. <laughs> Had gone to law
1: school in his absence from the public eye yeah
0: yeah that's that's an n i k okay this is an n i c k different nicholas backstrom uh he's representing himself, which in a time honored tradition of capital stars, ovechkin represented himself when he signed that huge uh record breaking hundred million dollar plus contract uh back in the day uh what do you think about? Nick Backstrom, representing Nick Backstrom, we've both spoken to him, doesn't exactly strike you as, uh, you know, uh Drew Rosenhaus in there or anything as far as agents go. He's he's kind of a mild-mannered guy.
1: But you were around the team yesterday when you had that press conference. I love that line where he's like, how's it going? He's like, well, not great because I don't have a deal yet. Um. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, I do think, um, this is a testament to that veteran group and the trust that they've built with management and specifically Brian McClellan. You know, we don't know who exactly he's negotiating with, but they're going to take care of him. And I, I imagine a fair deal will be worked out. And I also imagine behind the scenes, there's a lawyer that's going to look it
0: over. Indeed. Um, let's hope, uh, Dateline Philadelphia. Besides the growing appreciation for the defensive acumen of Kevin Hayes, Emily, what else did you learn from Chuck Fletcher in your chat with him this week for your column?
1: Um, I learned that the Flyers are in much better shape than I thought. I I think, you you know, it's obviously a polarizing fan base, but if we look year over year, the improvements that they made are pretty significant. Like the first free agent he made was Splash. And I know you have a differing opinion of Kevin Hayes than I do, but. It hasn't been bad, especially what he's brought defensively. Uh I think the first big trade he made um of, of getting Matt Niskanen has worked out splendid. Uh He has been everything they've hoped for and more, and he's brought out the best in Ivan Provorov. The only worry I have is if Shane Gostabair is ever going to be the old Shane Gostabair again. They're working on getting his confidence back. But look, I think this is a great team. They've gotten these young guys in like Morgan Frost and Joel Farabee, and I expect them to be a playoff team. Indeed.
0: Indeed. Uh, they're close. And, and again, wouldn't be surprised. They're in right now. First- Yeah, wouldn't be surprised in Laney Mignon's first season to see them, uh, make the playoffs and maybe even overachieve. Uh, Dateline Ottawa. Mark Borvieski, uh, is returning calls from Vancouver police who require his statement after he foiled a robbery yesterday, earlier this week, by clotheslining a guy on a bike who had stolen a bag he then wrestled him down and retrieved the bag. Emily, is this the best defensive move by a Senators player since they traded Eric Carlson?
1: With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> and that is what Mark borrow I can't even pronounce his name, has.
0: <laughs> Bor- he Bor- can sit v- down
1: with Eugene Melnick. He can, he can combat robberies. What can he do?
0: Borvieski. I hate it too. Like as a Wyshynski. I find that name to be abjectly unpronounceable. And I have an objectly unpronounceable name. Yeah, he, uh, I think he's rebalanced the scales. He sat down with the owner in an infomercial, but then he was a, uh, unmasked vigilante in the streets. So everything was fine. It's all good. It's going to be good. Uh, Dateline NHL All-Star game. Voting is now open. Give me one player you want to see make the three on three game. It, it, it doesn't matter if he will make it or won't make it. Who do you, who do you want to see in the All-Star game?
1: I want to see the entire Colorado Avalanche three on three squad go against everybody else, like the all-star else. Oh, yeah. That's a
0: good answer. Wouldn't that be cool? That's a really good answer. Um, my, my answer as always is, uh, Matt Barzell. Um, mm. I find him to be a perfect all-star game player. Does things that definitely make the highlight real, you know, but, Maybe not necessarily seen as the same offensive dynamo when he's playing in a Barry Trot system That is, he might be seen freewheeling it with a bunch of other all-stars. But that'd be the guy that I want to see. Finally, the most important news of the week, Dateline Peloton. By <laughs> <laughs> God. You know, when I first saw the Peloton ad where the woman gets the Peloton from her husband and then films herself riding it every day for like a year, and then shows him the video as his Christmas present the next year. I knew it was a horror show. Little did I know, Emily, that it would become something that would enter the popular zeitgeist and become the ad that literally everybody is memeing and talking about. What was your reaction to the Peloton ad?
1: I just was so confused of why she was so nervous to ride a stationary bike in the (laughs) privacy of her own home. (laughs)
0: And if you were nervous, why don't you pick the room without the giant windows? Like that's part of it too. Just go in your basement. No one can even see you there. I think the thing that people have seized on is the right thing to seize on, which is what is the reality? This is part of the the joy of being the gendered uh, podcast that we are. What would be your reaction if out of the blue, your husband gifted you an exercise bike?
1: Yeah, if I didn't ask for it. I think I'm, uh, I'm taking some hints. I, I think I like to know about context clues.
0: Yeah, right? Like, I mean, maybe, maybe that's the part of the, of the thing we don't understand is that she's like, Hey, I, I'd love to get this Peloton, but I just, I just don't know if we can afford it, baby. And then he like gifted it to her and she's like super excited about it. But then what, A, why would she ask for it if she's afraid of it? Cause she clearly is. And B, why does she need it? She looks like she runs five miles a day already. She gets she's on in pretty damn
1: movement. good shape. I go to a lot of workout classes. If I saw that girl in front of me, I'd be like, I want to follow her. She knows what she's doing.
0: Yeah, like this commercial would make a lot more sense if like Melissa McCarthy was in it and not this girl in the Peloton who runs five miles a day already. Then I get it. Then it makes sense. <laughs> Nothing in the world makes sense. You know what makes sense? The ESPN and Ice Rant Line. I am so sick and
2: tired of seeing that. Mr. Clean-looking idiot behind the bench every single game. This guy has no idea how to coach an NHL team. This team looks clueless on ice. They're unstructured. They have no freaking system. I don't know what they do in practice because they just look like they don't have any offensive instincts on the ice or any kind of defensive instincts on ice. They look so unorganized. Taylor Holt just looks checked out. He does not want to be here. He is playing so soft. He... Makes at least, like, 20 turnovers a game. This team looks just so lost. I am so sick of this. They need to fire Hines. They need to hire Jack Lemire. I don't know where the hell he is, but find him, and he can maybe have this team go 500 at best, because
1: this team just looks awful.
0: Hire Hire Jack Lemire, again, is maybe the most Devils fan statement I think I've ever heard, outside of, like, uh, get Scott Stevens to coach the team and punch everybody. But I guess he can't do that anymore. Uh, Jacques Lemaire is 74 years old. I'm pretty sure that Jacques Lemaire's coaching days are behind him. Obviously, uh, keep a watch for the rant line number, and and you too can uh, be on the show to lament about your coach as well going forward. That's the show for this week. Our thanks to uh, Anthony Store for joining us and making us all a little smarter. Uh, I'm Greg Wyszynski. You can read my stuff on ESPN.com. Uh, the NHL Awards Watch dropped. Have a very interesting story on NHL uh sports wagering coming out this week as well, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at washinski You can re- listen to my other podcast where I say naughty words, Puck Soup, available on iTunes.
1: I'm Emily Kaplan. I never say naughty words and just follow me on Twitter. at Emily M. Kaplan. Indeed. Bye.
0: Well, y- you do, but but not on Twitter. I do. Shh. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye. bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyszynski
2: and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.